Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Hey, good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders is expected to receive Secret Service as soon as tomorrow. This comes after she was asked to leave a Virginia restaurant because of her role with the Trump administration. It's obviously sparked a national conversation on civility in the Trump era. And keeping them honest tonight, President Trump is now trying to leverage political advantage over the political discourse that's been boiling over in recent days. Discourse that, of course, he himself is a big part of. Now, this evening, his campaign sent out this fundraising email to supporters. It mentions how Sarah Sanders was asked to leave the restaurant. It also mentions the moment caught on tape when Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen was heckled in a Washington restaurant last week. Secretary Nielsen ended up leaving the restaurant. The fundraising email also mentions Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who's come under fire for encouraging people to publicly shame members of the Trump team wherever they see them. Here's what she said at a rally on Saturday. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. In the fundraising email requesting donations, the president states, and I quote, the left is trying to bully and buy their way back into power, not on my watch. And later it says, we will not be intimidated by their vicious bullying. Now, this is clearly an issue the White House wants to keep front and center. Just yesterday, Press Secretary Sanders began her briefing discussing her experience in the restaurant, which, according to a White House official to CNN, is something the president instructed her to do. She also made a call for civility. Healthy debate on ideas and political philosophy is important. But the calls for harassment and push for any Trump supporter to avoid the public is unacceptable. America is a great country, and our ability to find solutions despite those disagreements is what makes us unique. Now, Sarah Sanders' point is obviously well taken. We should be able to have disagreements with fellow citizens without resulting to harassment and bullying. But it should also be noted that the president has taken uncivil discourse to a whole new level. And Sarah Sanders has never distanced herself from things the president has said. Crooked Hillary Clinton. Little Marco. Lion Ted Cruz. Lion Ted. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, I don't remember. Well, Rosie O'Donnell's disgusting. I mean, both inside and out. You take a look at her. She's a slob. He's a war Five hero. Five and a half years. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Rocket Man should have been handled a long time ago. Jeb Bush is a low-energy person. For him to get things done is hard. Maxine Waters, a very low-IQ individual. We have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. 
Well, just yesterday, 28 minutes after Sarah Sanders spoke about the need for civility at 3.54 p.m. yesterday, the president was back to lobbying insults, writing in a tweet asking, quote, why is Senator Mark Warner, perhaps in a near drunken state, claiming he has information that only he and Bob Mueller, the leader of the 13 angry Democrats on a witch hunt, knows? Isn't this highly illegal? Is it being investigated? The president was referring to a Politico report about the top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator Mark Warner told Politico he had made a bad joke about how alcohol would help him spill secrets about the Mueller probe. Now, the presidential insults didn't stop there. About four hours after Sarah Sanders called for civility, President Trump took aim at everyone from reporters to late night talk show hosts at a rally in South Carolina. Take a look. Now, you know, we have a lot of fake news back there, these fake news. I said, I don't care. I can't stand that guy. She blamed everybody for losing the election except for one person, herself. The guy on CBS is, is what a low life. But there's no talent. He's not, they're not like talented people. This guy on CBS has no talent. Jimmy Kimmel would meet me before the election. I don't even think you'd deny it. No talent. Now I wouldn't do a show. A guy's terrible. Jimmy Fallon calls me up. He looks like a lost soul. I said, Jimmy, be a man. It's easy to demand civility from one's opponents. Not so easy to demand it from oneself. Let's get the latest now from CNN's uh, Jim Acosta, who joins us at the White House. Jim, I mean, this fundraising effort, it's totally playing right into the president's hands. Uh, it certainly is. It, it is going back to uh, what I heard from a White House uh, source who said that, listen, the, the White House over here, they want to uh, put out this message that there is intolerance on the left, never mind the fact that the president, uh, including uh, members of his administration, have been pretty intolerant of other people's views. Uh, they've bullied people at times. But uh, just to uh, give you a sense of what's in this fundraising email, uh, it, it talks about how Sarah Huckabee Sanders was kicked out of a restaurant. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the Homeland Security Secretary, was jeered as she tried uh, to leave a restaurant. And uh, this is from the Trump campaign trying to raise money for the president's uh, 2020 reelection campaign. They're obviously making it very clear that they see what they believe to be harassment from the left as being a potent issue uh, heading into the fall midterms and beyond. I mean, it is interesting. You know, I mean, you were at the president's rally last night where he lobbed insults at everyone from Jimmy Fallon to the prime minister of Canada. I know you were actually on the receiving end of a good deal of incivility from those right. who attended the rally, which, you know, was always encouraged by, uh, by the president uh, often during speeches. Uh, that's right. And there were some glaring headlines from the president's remarks uh, going after Jimmy Fallon, as you said, and, and talking about a, a whole host of different topics. Uh, one thing that we didn't really focus on is he once again referred to us as fake news and the enemy of the people. He once again referred to the press as the enemy of the people. Uh, Anderson, I've seen this at countless uh, Trump rallies where he uh, just whips people up into a frenzy. And so it was no surprise to me when I walked into that rally uh, yesterday evening, hours before the president took the stage, that there were people coming up to me, elderly women uh, coming up to me uh, and taunting us and saying all sorts of terrible things. Uh, but Anderson, one thing I did fi uh, find throughout the evening is that there were people who would come up to us and say, listen, I'm, I'm sorry about uh, what's happening to you. And uh, one man actually uh, at one point asked if anybody would lend him a chair. I gave him his chair uh, this chair, and he came back with his, his mother and said, thank you for helping us out. Uh, my mother really appreciates it. Uh, and so, Anderson, I think what happens often is that when people see us as who we are, human beings, uh, they, they sort of lower the hostility level, but uh, no question about it. I think uh, when it comes to civility in this country, it, it starts at the top. The president has to set the right example for the rest of the country. Right. Jim Costa. Uh, Jim, thanks very much. You bet.
A lot to discuss with uh, legendary journalist Dan Rather, host of Access TV's The Big Interview, also political consultant, legendary political consultant, Stuart Stevens. Stuart, thanks for being with us, and Dan as well. Dan, you wrote on Facebook today, President Trump and the GOP bemoaning a lack of civility is a hypocritical farce. It spurs an almost uncontrollable bout of forehead slapping in, in disbelief. Can, can you just explain what you mean? Well, I, I think what you showed this top of show would be this explanation. Here is a president who has specialized as part of his success, bullying. Look, incivility takes many forms. And to make any comparison between what is happening, say, in an obscure restaurant somewhere with the kind of, I hate to say it, but lies, corruption, immoral acts like ripping children from their mothers, and to equate that with something uh, that happened at a restaurant is it's a hypocritical farce. But look, w- let's stop for a moment and put this in perspective. Who lit the fires of hate and incivility that we're now seeing going up everywhere? It began with the Donald Trump's campaign. It began with his presidency. It's an indisputable fact. I know there are going to be people who say, well, it's biased to say that. But the facts support that. In word and deed, he has not put a tone of civility on the presidency. Now, those in power, those of the power of the state, those of the power of the presidency, should be held to a higher, much higher standard than everybody else to set an example. Stuart, though, is it right, though, uh, or is the rational response to incivility from, from a leader incivility on the other side? Well, the problem with civility and incivility is that it starts and it's hard to stop. I mean, bad gets worse pretty quickly. And I think it's, it's very much, if you think of a sports team, if you go to a game, uh, a hockey game and everybody's fighting, the crowd gets more into it. Civility has to start with those on the field. And in politics, it's those in office. And I, I agree with Dan. I think that the president, when he ran for office, set a new low in incivility. I mean, he accused you know, a cabinet member of being a child molester. He accused Ted Cruz of being involved in the Kennedy assassination, attacked Senator Cruz's wife. And I think once you start there, it's just where do you go? And there has to be sort of a stoplight with civility. And I think that political leaders have to, to be there to say that. And if people just start ignoring stoplights, you know, you end up like Rio. Traffic it just goes everywhere. And it, it, it has to be self-imposing. And it's a very difficult thing to make rules about. You just have to sort of feel it and know it. And I think there's a lot of people involved in politics that really don't like what's happening now, that wince when they see this stuff. But they're not speaking up, really. I mean, unless the ones who are leaving office on the Republican side speak up, but, but you don't hear a lot of other voices. No, well, it, it's worth remarking, I think, Anderson, that it's an ancient playbook of autocrats and authoritarian leaders to deliberately try to provoke an emotional response from people. And you're seeing some of that now. Uh, The Maxine Waters thing, uh, in my personal opinion, was a tactical, if not a strategic, mistake on her part because it was just the kind of reaction to Trump's acts that he wanted. Right. Yeah, in fact, I mean, they're fundraising off it tonight, so clearly it's an issue that the president feels, and he encouraged Sarah Sanders to start off, uh, from what we're told by White House officials, to start off the briefing with her talking about her personal experience with the restaurant, which is an extraordinary thing when you yeah. think about it, that's, that's what's being discussed it's at a, a White House briefing. I think you're exactly right. It's a diminishing of the office, I think. I mean, I think what happened to Sarah Sanders is very unfortunate. But you, 
if you're press secretary of the United States, president of the United States, off your official account, you can talk about anything. You can talk about uh, hunger. You can talk about uh, Iraq war. You can talk about you know, threat of nuclear Iran. And to talk about what happened to you at a restaurant, I think it just diminishes it. And it's sort of this victim shopping. Now, Republicans used to be against this. It used to be the party of personal responsibility. It used to say that we had to that go out and look for trivial things to become victimized, made it a uh, diminish those who truly were victims. And I, I think we were right then, and I think we're wrong now to get out there and say, who can offend me the most? You end up like some sort of like awful soccer team where everybody's flopping around instead of just playing the game. Well, I think is, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's always important to see things from 30,000 feet, to use the cliche, or as we see in, say in television, to take the wide shot. Mm. This is not so much about policy, President Trump's policy. It's about the heart and soul and character of the country. It's about who are we now? What have we become? What are we becoming with these outbursts of incivility uh, led to the tone set by the president of the United States himself? Mm. What, I mean, in terms of other administrations you've covered, I mean, you obviously famously covered the, the Nixon administration. But where are we on the scale of, of incivility, I mean, is it? Well, we're off the we're we're off the charts. There's, I don't think there's any precedent for this, uh, with an American president setting this kind of tone of incivility. Perhaps back in the 1880s, during that period, there were very rough things said. But listen, this even is in not, the 70s, you had radical groups who were, you know, planting bombs and buildings and stuff. So I mean, there was well, there that's, was that's outright violence. Right. That's incivility taken to an extreme. But in terms of the presidency, I think this is a, a, a unprecedented what's, what's going More on. More so than Nixon. Much over than Nixon. For example, with President Nixon, for all of the illegal, unconstitutional things he did, President Nixon did have a belief in the, the Constitution, in the system of checks and balances represented by the institutions. Now, he regularly tried to, in secret, undercut those. But publicly, he, he supported them. That's not the case with President Trump. And, and that's a very, very big difference. But I come back to, you know, we have to, to see ourselves and what, what we're coming. Where does this go now? Does it get worse or, or not? And that depends less on the president because he's not going to change. He's going to continue doing this. He thinks his playbook is succeeding politically. It depends on each individual just to do the right thing. You know, civil. General uh, Michael Hayden has been on the show, and we've t- he and I talked right. about the, the thin, what he calls the thin veneer of civilization. Mm-hmm. He uses the example of Sarajevo, multicultural city. Uh, you, you spent time yeah. there during the war that fell apart. Do you worry about about where this is heading for us? Sure, I think you see it in schools where you have uh, kids that are getting bullied more. You have it just in sort of public dialogue, and you often have this sense with Donald Trump that you're listening to the Nixon tapes. The sort of private side, but it's public. There's not a filter there. And there's something about that that's sort of mesmerizing to see. Like, what is he going to say next? And what is he going to do? But I think that the uh, role of the president has to be to set a higher standard. It has to be something that you aspire to. I mean, historically, it's always been. Now, a lot of time in their private life, they didn't hold up to that. Um, Certainly true, like in the Kennedy administration. But you still, I think it's important to have role models. I, I, I am very old-fashioned about that. And to think that the presidency stands for aspirationally what is the best of us. And 
it's it's really unfortunate. There's also something about the repetition that the president yeah. does very effectively, which after a time, it just normalizes everything. Like it's sort of, OK, yeah, a witch hunt. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lion Ted or, or Lion, you know, Crooked Hill or whatever it is. That's a really important point, because we all know you you should be careful what you get used to. Because you can get used to anything. Mm. And if we get accustomed to this and just shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, this is Trump, this, this. You've got to be very careful what we get used to. And my fear with this going on for as long as it have, has and descending deeper and deeper into incivility, that as a country, as a people, as a society, we get used to it mm. and just accept I, I just, it. Think how difficult it must be for a teacher to tell a 17-year-old not to do something that the president's doing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Stevens, Dan Rather, good to talk to you. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Dan Rather, Stuart Stevens, thanks very much. Up next, a victory for the president. The Supreme Court upholds his travel ban. It's not the version he said from the beginning that he wanted. We're keeping him honest on that next. Also later, new details on the status of the effort to reunite kids and their parents separated the border. The information is hard to come by. We'll give you the latest numbers ahead. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. Tonight, we're keeping him honest with a court victory for the president and a reminder of his goal from the beginning for, quote, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. Today, the Supreme Court ruled five to four along partisan lines to uphold the travel ban, or at least the third version of the travel ban, which the president himself once dismissed as a watered-down and politically correct version. Watered-down, that is, from the initial goal, goal that he made crystal clear before he was elected when he said that quote in December 7, 2015, that I just referenced. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. Well, confusion was a hallmark of the travel ban from that point forward, with him later saying it was just a suggestion. And then after he was elected, he signed an executive order banning entry for 90 days for citizens from seven Muslim-majority countries and indefinitely stopping refugees from Syria. Now, that was met with protests at airports in the United States, and the court battle started with judges in New York and Massachusetts temporarily blocking parts of the order. When acting Attorney General Sally Yates didn't defend the travel ban, the president fired her. Two months later, there was a revised travel ban, which also was blocked. In the federal court decisions, there were references to statements that the president and his advisors made, including that initial promise for a complete and total shutdown and something else he said on this program back in March of 2016. I think Islam hates us. There's something, there's something there that there's a tremendous hatred there. There's a tremendous hatred. We have to get to the bottom of it. There is an unbelievable hatred of us. In, in Islam itself? Uh, you're going to have to figure that out, okay? You'll get another Pulitzer, right? But you're going to have to figure that out. But there is a tremendous 
hatred. And we have to be very vigilant. We have to be very careful. And we can't allow people coming into this country who have this hatred of the United States. I guess the and, question and, is... And of people that are not Muslim. I guess the, the question is, is there a war between the West and radical Islam, or is there a war between well, the West and Islam It's itself? radical, but it's very hard to define. It's very hard to, to separate, because you don't know who's who. Then candidate Donald Trump saying that Islam hates us with what he called an unbelievable hatred. Now, the version of the travel ban the Supreme Court upheld today is not a ban on all Muslims, as the president initially said he wanted. It restricts to varying degrees entry from five Muslim-majority countries, Iran, Syria, Libya, Yemen, and Somalia, as well as two non-Muslim-majority countries, North Korea and Venezuela. Its point and its efficacy are not to make America safer. Those are issues that can and will be debated. Its success in the Supreme Court is largely due to Justice Department attorneys vetting and cleaning up what you just heard the president say he hoped to do from the start to ban Muslims. Joining me in center is uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, a member of the Judiciary Committee. So, Senator, I know you opposed the Supreme Court ruling. This clearly was a legal and political victory for the president. There's no denying that. You would agree. It was a victory for the president, but not for America. And I say with sadness as a former law clerk to the United States Supreme Court, Justice Harry Blackman, as a litigator and law enforcer who's argued cases before the Supreme Court. I have great reverence and respect for the court as an institution, but today it essentially abandoned its constitutional responsibility to look at that animus, that improper motivation that was so obvious in those statements that you just very dramatically played. And the abandonment of that responsibility may seem like a victory for Donald Trump, but it's really a grave injustice and defeat for America. But the, 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 the policy itself is different than what the president initially intended, and those Supreme Court justices who supported it believed it was correct under the, power, the, the wide powers of the presidency to, to keep this country safe. Those who uh, opposed it and dissented from the, the majority viewpoint seem to focus on the president's prior remarks as a civilian, as a candidate. And very important, Anderson, he has never disavowed those past statements. He has never said that they were wrong or that he wanted to abandon them. And number two, it took him three tries to get it right. There were three iterations of this so-called ban and the Supreme Court chose to look only at the last one. There was a lot of hand-wringing and disapproving, head-shaking. But think of it this way. If an employer said, women are bad workers, and I'm going to fire bad workers who are women, and then he fired five women, not all the women who worked for him, and maybe he fired a man too, it would not be okay, no matter what he said afterward. The president here has not included all Muslims in the ban, and he's included North Korea, which is not a Muslim nation. But the animus and the motivation are clearly there, and that's what the Supreme Court should have paid attention to. Yeah, Venezuela as well. You called on Congress to, to act to reverse this. You said, quote, we will legislate this ban out of existence. How would that even work exactly, considering this was a Supreme Court ruling, and obviously Democrats are not in the majority? A great question, Anderson. And unfortunately, we are not in the majority. The chances of legislation are slim. We have introduced legislation that would cut funding, in effect, eliminate funding for this Muslim ban. 
but the chances of it passing are very remote. So the answer very simply is we need to change the composition of the Congress and legislate in a way that prevents this kind of discriminatory ban, reduces the discretion that the Supreme Court emphasized. It deferred to him on national security grounds, basically said, we don't like his statements, they contradict the meaning and values of the Constitution, but he has very broad discretion. That's what needs to be limited. Senator, stay with us. I want to bring in our uh, CNN chief legal analyst, uh, Jeffrey Tubin, who's here with me as well. Jeff, I mean, with uh, first of all, what do you how do you see this? The ruling by the Supreme Court today? Well, it was the, the majority looked at this as a case about the presidency, about the power of all presidents. And they treated this executive order as if it was something of an immaculate conception, that it just sort of appeared out of nowhere. And if you look at the executive order itself, it doesn't say anything about Muslims. It doesn't say anything about, you know, the, the the president's prior statements. It only refers to these these seven countries, five Muslim majority, two not. And the Supreme Court said, in light of that, it's perfectly permissible. The uh, dissenters, the four dissenters led by Sonia Sotomayor said, who are you kidding? This is just the Muslim ban in a tutu. This is a different way of prohibiting basically Muslims from getting into the United States and 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 drew on many of the comments that that you did earlier. You know, this is why it matters who's on the Supreme Court and who appoints people on the Supreme Court, because the four Democratic majority, the four Democrats in the minority saw it one way and the five Republicans in the majority saw it the other way. Senator Blumenthal, I mean, you say this is a Muslim ban or is reflective of the president's desire to ban all Muslims. I mean, there are many majority, Muslim majority countries that are not part of this travel ban, Pakistan, Indonesia, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of Muslims in, in India. There, there are two non-Muslim majority countries in this ruling, North Korea and Venezuela. Not a lot of North Koreans trying to get into the, into the United States, uh, obviously. But uh, do you, is, the, is to you the inclusion of North Korea and Venezuela, is that a fig leaf? It is a fig leaf. It is a disguise, a masquerade done for the purpose of making it seem religiously neutral when in fact it is clearly aimed at Muslims. And it is as if someone firing uh, people from his company because they are women or, or Jews or Christians included someone from another religion just as a masquerade for firing the others whom he explicitly said were fired for that reason. And the irony here is that this decision comes down on a day when the court overruled Korematsu. As Justice Sotomayor said so eloquently, the court today replaces one grave mistake with another. I think we that, will that look was a back Supreme Court ruling decision. permitting the internment of, of Japanese uh, of American uh, American citizens of Japanese descent during World War II. Exactly right, and it was dressed up, whether you call it a tutu or a masquerade in the same way that this decision was. The decision affirming Korematsu way back when under Franklin Roosevelt. And by the way, Donald Trump, in one of the quotes that you didn't cite here, actually compares the ban to what the court and, and President Roosevelt did at the time of Korematsu and says, that makes it okay. And, and, and you know, if we can just 
put this in some political perspective. The reason why this was a victory for Donald Trump was because Mitch McConnell, on February 13th, 2016, the day that Justice Scalia died, when Barack Obama had 11 months left in his presidency, said, there will be no vote on a nominee. And he kept that promise, and Merrick Garland was nominated, and he sat there for 11 months without being, not, without being even a hearing, much less a vote. And that seat went to, Mer- went, went to Neil Gorsuch, who has voted down the line, not just with Samuel Alito, but with Clarence Thomas, the most conservative member of the Supreme Court. And that's why this, that's why Donald Trump won this this lawsuit. And he won another suit about law, about abortion rights today. That that is that is ultimately the, the reason this case yeah. came out the way Jeff it Tubin, did. Uh, Senator Blumenthal, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Coming up much more on what Jeff just mentioned, the tweet from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's campaign today, a tweet with only a photo and no words sums up a great deal about Republican reaction to today's Supreme Court ruling. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. The president called today's Supreme Court ruling on the latest version of his travel ban a tremendous victory. It certainly was a victory for the president and also for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who blocked a vote on President Obama's Supreme Court nominee, as Jeff Tubin just mentioned. Merrick Garland, of course, was his name, nominated in 2016 after Justice Scalia died, but... Republicans refused to hold a hearing or to vote on him. And that led to a new president and a new nominee, Neil Gorsuch, who voted with the conservative majority today. After the ruling came down, McConnell's uh, official campaign account on Twitter, Team Mitch, posted this photo of McConnell and Gorsuch shaking hands. Joining me now is CNN political commentator and former RNC chief of staff Mike Shields and CNN political commentator attorney and former South Carolina State House member Bakari Sellers. Um, Mike, I mean, the president certainly uh, got a big victory today with, with this court ruling. Uh, it, it, I mean, there's been this near constant drumbeat attacks and complaints that Democrats in Congress are, are nothing but obstructionists. There is some irony here, though, that the only reason President Trump was able to appoint Gorsuch is because mm-hmm. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell obstructed. Well, President Obama was fond of saying elections have consequences when he would do things that Republicans didn't like. But what's interesting about that is that he sort of ignored that elections have consequences in the midterms, too, because the 2014 midterms elected a Republican majority to the Senate. That's true. And they blocked him. And that, that the Democrats could do the exact same thing if the things were reversed and put onto the ballot for the 2016 election. Well, who's going to who's going to get to appoint this this seat and the Democrats lost. It, Hillary Clinton was talking about the Supreme Court through the election, and so was Donald Trump. So it was on the ballot. Right. And the American people, by the way, support what the Supreme Court did today by about 60 to 65 percent. Now, I will say the American people do not support religious tests for people entering the country. And so a Muslim ban is not what this is, and, and they wouldn't support that. Polling shows we actually have a tradition of religious liberty. But they do support not allowing people into the country when we can't verify from their country of origin whether or not they are secure, whether or not we know that we can trust that they're coming here because we've been able to talk to their government and know whether or not they're good or bad actors or not. And the American people support that. The Supreme Court upheld that today. It's, it's a popular position. And the Supreme Court is made up the way that it is because Donald Trump won the election and elections have consequences. And, Bakari, I mean, you can't say that, that A, anything McConnell did here was breaking any rules. And also, to, to, to Mike's point, I mean, the, this was front and center in this campaign, the battle for the Supreme Court. And many conservatives publicly who maybe didn't even really, uh, you know, had some qualms with, with Donald Trump as a candidate were voting for him because of the Supreme Court. 
Well, well, first of all, let's just be clear. What Mitch McConnell and the House, the, the Senate Republicans did uh, to Barack Obama had not been done in over 100 years uh, to any sitting president. So let's be clear about that. that that's a Smithsonian fact. Uh, also, I just want to point out that Democrats, we did not do a good job twofold. The first was in 2014 and, of course, 2010, but specifically 2014, getting our voters to the polls and giving Barack Obama a Senate he could work with. I blame that on us. I blame that on messaging. I blame that on Democrats not showing up to vote. The second thing is, in 2016, we didn't make this issue of the courts sexy enough. I've had this conversation with Jeffrey Tubin often. Democrats have to do a better job of explaining what it means for a president to be able to come in and elect a generation of federal judges and Supreme Court justices. Not only has this court, led by a stolen seat from Merrick Garland, not only has this court uh, uh, reinforced the Muslim ban today, but they struck down California abortion rights. They backed gerrymandered maps. Uh, they supported the, the Masterpiece Bakery case. I mean, we go down the list of things that this court has done. It, it's eroding our Constitution further and further. But Democrats have to do a better job of coming up and showing out at the voting booth. Until we do that, we, we really just can't complain. Mike, you heard Senator Blumenthal before saying that essentially including North Korea and Venezuela is kind of a fig leaf uh, that this really is uh, a Muslim ban. You, you just heard Bakari saying that as well. To, to that, you say what? Well, I, w- I want to uh, set an example of civility and politely disagree with Bakari on this. Uh, Muslims travel in and out of the United States every single day from countries all over the world freely and openly. And so there is no ban on a religion. There is a ban on countries that we can't verify whether or not the people coming in and out of the country are safe. And one of the things that sort of amuses me about this from the left is I don't see them saying, you know what, we would actually, why don't we have a, uh, open it up just for California and we'll let everyone from these countries that we can't verify and let's move them into Beverly Hills next to our fancy houses where they can live next to us, even though we have no idea whether or not those people are safe or not. And so unfortunately, the way the world is made up is that there are uh, Islamic terrorists in countries that want to do the United States harm. That is not something that we created. That is just a fact. And we block those every day. Someone will say, well, we haven't been attacked by anybody from a foreign country. Right, because we are arming our armed forces and our intelligence communities with things like this to help them stop attacks, which happen every day and don't make the news. And so, look, I'm not for a Muslim ban. I don't think there should ever be a religious test on someone coming in and out of the country. There isn't a Muslim ban. Muslims come in every day. But there are there is a ban on countries where we can't verify their citizens. Bakari, what about that? I mean, Pakistan is not on this. Indonesia is not on, on this. What about Mike's point? Well, no, it, it's a ban on majority Muslim countries. I mean, M- Mike, is, Mike is really not making a point here. I think that if, it's very clear. When you look at the countries listed, there are a few things they have in common. They're majority Muslim, and they actually don't do any business with Donald Trump. No, but There's he's, he's saying what, what, what the commonality is, is that they don't do a good job. It's not easy in Somalia to figure out you know, the, the background of people to really vet people. Well, why isn't, why isn't Saudi Arabia on the list? I mean, you can go, uh, the majority of 9-11 hackers were from Saudi, I mean, uh, attackers were from Saudi Arabia. I mean, you can go down the list and ask questions about each specific country. But the reason that we know this is a Muslim ban and the reason that people are very disappointed in the court's decision goes to the heart of Justice Sotomayor's uh, dissent in this ruling because we use the president's own words. We use his uh, his religious animus, and, and that was should have been the center point of striking this down based on the establishment cause in the First Amendment mm-hmm. that no law should favor or disfavor a religion. All right. Bakari Sellers, uh, Mike Shields, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. The administration says they would reunite the more than 2,000 children with their parents separated the border. We've been asking for details. So today, government officials held a conference call. Things didn't go so well. 
Details on that ahead. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Since President Trump last Wednesday signed the executive order ending his zero-tolerance policy, the administration said they would immediately start reuniting the more than 2,000 children separated from their parents. So a few days went by, and there weren't a lot of details. Then a few more went by, and there still wasn't a lot of details. And in fact, this program and our teams on the ground were hearing there was little, if any, reunification happening at all. We're not the only ones not getting answers. At least one Republican lawmaker isn't either. Here's what Texas Congressman Will Hurd said this morning on New Day. One of the concerns I have is HHS's ability to do this. Uh, we were supposed to have a conference call yesterday with uh, members of Congress and their staff to talk about this process, and the phone number didn't work. Uh, so if they can't do that with us, I'm, I'm concerned with the ability of, of connecting kids. The phone number didn't work. We're continuing to ask for updates. And so today, Health and Human Services had a conference call with reporters. Did not go so well. Take a listen. I'm wondering first, are you still receiving children who are coming into your care because of parental detention? We know that there's an implementation phase on the executive order. As we mentioned earlier, we won't be, we, we, we can get you that information as soon as possible and we appreciate your patience. All right, great, great, great. No, actually, actually, it's really important. Are you guys still, excuse me, are you still receiving children who are there because of the parental separation policy? I believe we've answered your, you, you've had, you gave us three questions. We responded to your question, and I ask that you send that to media no. at HHS.com. I'm so sorry, I didn't hear an answer to your final question. So joining me now is Sunland Safadi, who is one of the reporters on that call. So the call was meant to answer questions. We just heard from that. I mean, it seemed anything but. That's right. Uh, There was a lot that they would not or could not answer tonight, Anderson. But we did get one new bit of information that's important. They did reveal today that there are currently 2,047 children who were separated from their families that are still in HHS custody. Now, the last time the administration did give us a number was on Saturday night when they said then that there were 2,053 children in custody. So this suggests that only six children, just six children, have been reunified with their guardian since the executive order was signed by President Trump last Wednesday. But very notable here, and you heard that in the audio, they would not answer, most importantly, if they are still receiving children as a result of this zero-tolerance policy. So if they are still receiving children, which for some reason they were unable to answer, which seems pretty extraordinary, they're not able to answer that right away, it's possible they reunited more than six children, but they just got more kids coming in, but we don't know the answer to that because they apparently don't know. That's right. And that's why this non-answer is so important here. They are saying that currently there's 2,047 children. But if more children were coming in, uh, of course, it throws off those numbers. And I should note that, uh, you know, there were some promises that um, they could potentially get back to some of our questions. Uh, but they were at many times pushed for by reporters tonight, um, said that these things were fluid. This is a dynamic situation. That's why they said they could not give many more specific data points to us reporters tonight, like 
including the ages of the children being had held currently, they would not answer that. Uh, that's in large part, I think, what led to this rather contentious call at times. Uh, CNN, as well as many other media outlets, have been pushing for days for a full accounting of what's going on with these children. And I think those the attempt this evening to mitigate all that those questions clearly highlighted that there are many, many more questions they have left to answer. Wait a minute. So the U.S. government will not even say what the ages of the children, the more than 2,000 children that are being held are, like what age range they go from? And that's that uh, I mean, that's incredible. That's right. Uh, they were asked that question and they did not answer that question. They said they would not uh, reveal the ages. They said they would not talk about policy on this call. They said beyond that one data point of 2,047 children still being held at HHS, they said they would not give any more data points and they wouldn't even answer questions about the data points beyond just saying emailing your questions, which, of course, CNN and many other outlets have been doing on a daily basis. Wow. Uh, Sunland, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. We'll keep following it up next. We're going to check in with some of the, uh, President Trump's supporters in Texas, see what they think of the so-called zero tolerance policy on immigration, the reaction from some of them ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But despite the chaos and confusion we just heard, a call where HHS wouldn't even answer basic questions about thousands of children being separated from their parents at the border. Along the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, President Trump's stance on immigration is mostly getting a warm reception. Ed Lavendera tonight reports. Welcome to the wall. With that kind of introduction, it's no surprise immigration is the hot topic for Sergio Sanchez's radio show in the South Texas Rio Grande Valley. We broadcast... Soil. North of the river. He's a staunch Trump Republican and credits the president with taking a tough approach to border security. With President Trump, we have someone who is making a serious attempt to enforce rule of law and enforce border law and enforce our sovereign border with Mexico and, and get a hold of the situation. Christina Garfield has lived along the border all her life. She comes from a family of Democrats, but she, like Trump, sees a threat in the flow of illegal immigration. My biggest concern with the people that are coming over our borders is safety. Safety is a huge deal down here. Trump is far from popular here in Hidalgo County, Texas, where much of the zero tolerance policy attention has been focused. He only won 28 percent of the vote. But there is an undercurrent of conservative Latino voters who kind of defy conventional political wisdom. They're unfazed by Trump's rhetoric that undocumented immigrants are, in using Trump's words here, invading the country. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Um, I think the people of the United States appreciate that also. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. When you hear people talk about the, that the way he talks about this issue, yeah. that it comes off as racist to them, what do you say to that? Yeah, well, that's their problem. They hear what they want to hear, and they say what they want to say. It's, hey, it's a free country. They, they can believe in that. Wasim Hernandez is president of the county's Young Republicans chapter. He walks us through the produce distribution warehouse where he works as the human resources director. 
He says the president needs to compromise on immigration. When you hear about, you know, families being separated, the zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy, you think, you know, well, we're the family of, you know, we're the party of, of the family, you know, family, faith and freedom. And, and you think about families being separated and it, 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 it doesn't look very civil. But Hernandez is also exhausted by Trump's divisiveness. There are some things that he says that sometimes you kind of, you got to cringe and be like, ah, oh, how am I going to defend that? You're tired of sticking up for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't get anything for having to stick up for him. Or Mr. Donald J. Trump. And <laughs> There are plenty of Trump supporters willing to fight that fight, even in South Texas, where there aren't many around. And Anderson, even though we've well documented over the last few weeks that it was the Trump administration policy that led to this issue of family separation, many of the Trump supporters we spoke with here in South Texas feel that uh, the president has been compassionate on this issue, and they actually blame Congress, not the president, for not doing enough here. Uh, Ed Levender, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Voters in seven states are going to the polls tonight among those on a ballot. Former presidential candidate Mitt Romney running for a Senate seat in Utah. Details on that ahead. So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting. And now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com. And when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast. Just one word and get a 15% discount. It's that simple. That's store.cnn.com. Seven states hold primary races today, and polls either have closed or are closing in the east. There's a couple we're keeping our eyes on. In South Carolina, Republican Governor Henry McMaster faces businessman John Warren. President Trump was in South Carolina last night campaigning for McMaster. Polls closed at 7. Right now, McMaster is up by about 10 percentage points, with more than 50 percent of precincts reporting. On Staten Island in New York, the incumbent Republican Dan Donovan faces former Republican Congressman Michael Grimm, who once threatened to throw a reporter off a congressional balcony. He's a former FBI agent. Grimm left Congress in 2015, pleading guilty to tax evasion. President Trump has endorsed his opponent. Polls in New York close at 9 p.m. And out west, former Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney is heavily favored in his primary race to gain a Senate seat. Polls uh, close there at 10 p.m. Eastern time. We'll, of course, track all the races and more throughout the night. So stay tuned for that. That's it for us. Time to hand it over to Chris. Cuomo Primetime starts now. Chris. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. 
Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.